Morning, every Morning everybody. Am I there? I'm there. Am I on? I am on. Excellent. I wish I'm not on by the end. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. As you can see there, we're on the third, as Darren said, of our four series on the four R's, which uh, us as Abbey elders have come together and prayed about, thought about, of how we can take the gospel to our community, to share the good news with our community. We'll have a quick recap. First one, relationships, which Mark spoke on a couple of weeks ago. The key, key uh, comment that came from that, perhaps, was for a non-believer to say, I know some Christians, we need to be able to say, I know some non-Christians. The second, respect, which Andrew spoke on last week. For people to say, I respect the Christians I know. We need to be able to say we meet the needs of our community through the love of Jesus. And today, relevant. The aim for us is for non-Christians to say, I see the relevance of Christianity to my life. We need to be able to say, I can explain the gospel and how it relates to me through my daily living and my speech. And this is a challenge in the community we're in. Where relationships and respect are understood to be good things by themselves. To the community and culture we find ourselves in, Christianity is seen by most people as totally irrelevant. Because it's unknown or not understood. But the gospel message, of course, is always relevant, never changes. But can we connect the people we have relationships to and with in the culture we find ourselves with the gospel's eternal, unchanging message? That's the challenge for us at Abbey at this time. And we're going to look at four headings to help us and two passages. The one that uh, Darren spoke on, uh, read just a minute ago, which is one we'll concentrate on. And it's good to have in mind the one that's cropped up in the last couple of sermons as well, 1 Peter 3.15. And I'll quickly read that for us now, just so that's in our minds. You don't have to keep turning to it. So we'll read from 13 to 18 anyway. 1 Peter writes, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set set Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to those who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. It would be good to have that in mind as well, as the passage that Darren wrote. So, the gospel, we can see there, number one of our headings, the obvious one we'll go to first, is the gospel. For the Christianity to be relevant to people we come across, the gospel must be come across by them. 
Otherwise, the relationships we'll build in will have no meaning eternally at all. They'll be great while we're here, but if people do not hear that gospel message, Christianity is totally irrelevant to them. Obvious, but it needs to be said, perhaps. An understanding of the need that they're not perfect. The need for repentance. Which brings, of course, all of the good news and the love to be shared in. The fantastic privileges of becoming a, becoming a Christian, a restored child of God. But we need to mention the cross. Or the cross needs to be mentioned within our relationships. Otherwise, they are eternally useless. We speak of the cross where grace and mercy, forgiveness, eternal life awaits. Justice is satisfied. Their sin is dealt with. Right at the start of our Acts series, we heard, didn't we, Peter's first preach. And at the end of it, the people are cut to the heart and say, what must we do? Peter's response, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the message that must be communicated. Otherwise, our relationships will be irrelevant. when you think about it on the day of judgment on that final day when jesus comes will you be thinking that you were glad you spared your friends from perhaps a difficult conversation will they be thinking what will they be thinking of you but does the conversation need to be a blunt one at all are we worrying unnecessarily about giving that message Remember that passage I've just read, and Peter, we are to do so with gentleness and respect. Answering questions rather than forcing our faith onto somebody could be the way. In Ephesians, Paul says we are to speak the truth, but in love. And we'll come back to that thought later on. At the moment, all we need to gain from our point is that a relevant Christian message to a non-believer must contain the gospel. Our relationship, as good as it is, and as much respect as we can gain, as we go through the two, our first two hours, we must be intentional in the gospel must be heard. Which leads us to our second heading. Communication, which Claire mentioned at the start. Communication is really important. As with any message, it's everything. Bad communication is as flawed as non-communication. Either one renders a message irrelevant to the listener. We'll pop a quick example up here. One person might be able to read this. Oh, you've got them both. Look at the top. The top says exactly the same as the bottom. I was just going to put the top one up. We've been going through our Greek uh, lessons with Graham leading us and teaching us ever so well. But would you be able to understand that top? That message is the same as the bottom one. It has absolutely wonderful significance for anybody who hears it. It's a fantastic, one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Totally irrelevant if you haven't got the translation below for those who don't understand the message. It just renders it completely and utterly irrelevant. Another example. Let me get off that one. Another example. Uh, I'm going to confess here to... 
listening to a comedian, uh, Billy Connolly, a great, quite a funny guy, but his choice of words is uh, extremely choice at some points. But I will confess to listening to him. And in one of his sketches, I won't quote him verbatim, that's for sure, um, one of his sketches rang so true with me, and it may ring true with you as well. Can you remember the first time you sat down in a maths class and were presented with algebra? Billy Connolly says he sat there and this teacher is saying these things, it's in his textbook, and he's thinking, don't be silly, you can't count with letters, only with numbers. What's going on? And it was exactly the same for me, sat in that class, and it was understood by me and taught after probably three or four lessons, I had no, no idea. It was absolutely irrelevant for me. Although I would sit in that class and nod my head as though I was understanding it because of embarrassment or pride and just secretly praying that the teacher wouldn't ask me a question because I had no idea what it meant at all. Ravi Zacharias mentions this as well. Just, a, just an aside, it's great. He says, or he said, in our secular society, it may try to ban religion completely from the school curriculum. But there will always be prayer in schools where there are mass exams. Amen to that. <laughs> there will. <laughs> there will. And this problem of communication to non-Christian friends became re very real and apparent to a few of us just lately, actually. I think we mentioned up here and possibly prayed about as well. At the men's Bible breakfast, a few guys from Friday Football, Graham and Steve, were going to come to our men's Bible breakfast. It was great. It shows that the four R's work. We'd built relationship, we'd gained respect, and they were happy enough to come to a men's Bible breakfast on a Saturday morning at Morrison's. Which was great. But the same thing happened as me in my algebra class. You could see. It, they agreed late after Friday football. So we're talking 11 o'clock. Something like that. And we were going to go through Malachi on the Saturday morning. It was too late to change. But it seemed completely true to me as the algebra class. As we read about sacrifice and offerings. It meant absolutely nothing to them. It was as irrelevant as anything could be. And we tried and we tried to explain what sacrifice was. It meant how it pointed to Jesus. But you could just see they were just like me, nodding politely, but had no idea at all. It was absolutely irrelevant. And it, it reminds us that we must remind ourselves the need to change the common language within our church bubble to reach people who don't know at all. I mean, let's pause here just for one second. Close your eyes. Think of one word that we use commonly at church that would be irrelevant to somebody outside of the church bubble. I bet it didn't take long. I, two off the top of my head. The Lamb of God, communion. I was outside of that church bubble until I was 20-odd. Would have made absolutely no sense at all. So we must be careful to communicate the message. As we read in our passage in, in, uh, in Corinthians, Paul became a Jew to win the Jews. To a non-Jew, he became like a non-Jew. When Paul was meeting and in the Jewish community, he would have talked about sacrifices, feasts, 
the fulfillment of Jesus, their promised Messiah, to the Jews to communicate the gospel. But to the Gentiles, his language would have been completely different. He wouldn't have used those words at all. Much different. So we can say, for the gospel message to be relevant, people must hear it in their own language. We think back to Pentecost, don't we? The first gospel message proclaimed in all different languages. Tongues came in and people could hear in their own language. Otherwise it would have been irrelevant at that time. We think of 1 Corinthians talking about tongues. Paul says, when you're speaking in tongues, there is a need for an interpreter so that all listening can understand and be edified by the message. Otherwise, he says, I may as well be speaking into the air. Basically he's saying it's a waste of breath. If people can't understand, it's irrelevant to them. So like I said, for us to communicate the relevance of Christianity, we must speak the language of those we're trying to reach. And to do so in gentleness and respect, we must turn to our third heading, which is culture and world view. We must bear that in mind, the culture and world view of where we are at Abbey at this time. And we must be in the culture. Paul says in that passage, he immersed himself to be within, to speak to the Jews. He became like a Jew to the non-Jew, like a non-Jew to the weak. He spoke not extravagant words that wouldn't be understood to the weak of mind. He spoke baby language to them that could be understood and be made relevant. So we must understand the culture that we live in now that we're trying to communicate to. Remembering that we are sent out by our Lord into the world to speak of him, to bring some back. We must enter that culture, as we've read about Paul, and not to observe from the outside and speak into it from the outside. We need to understand culture to ensure the communication is correct. Because... The communication and understanding the culture means that there will be no unnecessary offence caused. Paul knew that very well and did it very well. We've read it recently in, as we've been going through Acts. In Acts 16, we read of Timothy being circumcised. He had a Greek, Greek father, Jewish mother. The Jews knew this and would have been offended if he would have come with Paul and been spoken to. He was circumcised for the sake of the gospel to, and he didn't want to offend their culture or community. I'm so glad we don't have a Jewish community here. Perhaps God would have asked us to do the same. In Acts 15, just before that, we hear the Council of Jerusalem gives out helpful advice to the Gentile believers that Paul's going to about what customs they should still uphold. So not to offend the community. They were like not allowed to eat strangled animals because the Jews would always cut the animals, pour out the blood. It was to not offend the community. Paul was to understand the community so as not to unnecessarily offend. The gospel message, with its bad news before the good news, is offensive in itself. We don't need to be unnecessarily offensive. In Galatians, we read that Paul now trying to reach 
the non-Jews, were, were sitting with the Gentiles eating. And he rebukes Peter from withdrawing from that and going to sit with his own Jewish people. He becomes like the culture he is trying to win, trying to provide the gospel to. He's happy to go to whom he has sent, step into their culture without getting offended for the sake of communicating the relevant message in that non-offensive way. We do well to do the same, following not only Paul's example, but Jesus' too, of course. Mark spoke about in um, two weeks ago, building relationships. Jesus just went into the tax collectors and sinners and ate with them. He had to step into their culture, to their life, and speak to them there. Jesus spoke in parables, didn't he? He knew the culture he was speaking to and would speak in parables so they could understand the greater message in words that were not foreign to them, that were easily understood. Used farming metaphors all the time, didn't he? And in doing so, as we go out, we'll be following God's great pattern and design too of the gospel message. We've heard about love all the time. And there's such a great link between loving and sending. God so loved the world, which we read earlier, that he sent his son into the world to save it. The Father and Son send the Spirit to us. God indwells us. We love the world and we are sent into the world. Loving and sending, following that pattern of God and in obedience to God. Not observing from the outside. So we must know the culture of the community we're sent to and be able to speak their language so to communicate it effectively. I'm just going to read a passage that we've read recently as well in Acts 17. I think Graham spoke on it a few weeks ago. In Acts 17, I'll just read two verses. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul's there, he assesses the culture he's in, assesses, knows, understands religious. They've got idols everywhere. So he can speak into that. That is his in. That is the gap that he can speak into to raise Jesus, to raise the gospel message above all things and give glory to him from within that culture. He assesses it, steps into it, and speaks into it. Naomi. Naomi is going to Zambia in a couple of months. Four or five five weeks' time. And as with all missionaries, she will assess the culture that she's going into so that there's no unnecessary offence caused, but how the gospel can be made relevant to the people she's going to. So do we know our culture? Do we know the community that we are living in right now? Do we well enough to make and communicate the gospel relevantly? So on the periphery, there's things that we can observe all the time. We're living in a culture of social media, aren't we? There's loads of things, Facebook and whatever else going on about. For the church to be relevant, we need to keep up with that. It's one way of just keeping up on the periphery. 
with the fast-evolving ways to communicate. With our friends on Friday Football, we've got a little group, a WhatsApp group, as with the Greek as well. But two years ago, three years ago, WhatsApp, I would have been saying, what's this? No idea. It's fast-evolving. We need to keep our, our minds on that at all times. But social media is one thing to know about. The periphery is one thing to know about. But everything and everybody in this culture, in this community, everybody in this Western world that we live in, is living and breathing postmodern philosophy and ideology. Whether that be ourselves, our friends, family, media, education system, political mindset, society, etc., etc., etc. Since the 1960s, we are in a postmodern era, postmodern society. So as we think about the culture that we're surrounded by, as I start talking about it now, most of it will sound extremely familiar because it's all we know. It's the norm to us. So postmodernism, in a very small nutshell, it's a philosophy based on love, which, is, which sounds great. We've been singing about God's love all the time. It's based on love. God is love after all. It's a philosophy based on the hunger for no conflict. Not offensive again. Sounds great. But it's also a philosophy that at its extreme is willing to compromise truth for the sake of love, for the sake of conflict, for the sake of unity. And this should cause alarm bells to start ringing. Because God claims his word to be true. Jesus didn't just claim to speak truth either. He claimed to be truth. And postmodernism, at its extreme, is willing to ditch truth for the sake of unity and love. Perhaps you've heard things that come out of postmodernism, postmodern relativity. The claims that all truth is relative. And so what is true for you may not necessarily be true for me. It's summed up in, in sentences like this. There's no such thing as objective or universal truth. No such thing. All truth is subjective to the person. But logically, that's ridiculous, isn't it? That sentence, if it's true, is false. Because that sentence claims to be objectively and universally true. It just falls apart at the seams. just need to stand back and think about it. Postmodernism, at its intention, is good. No conflict, no offence. Love is all you need, as the Beatles sang at the start of the postmodern era. And it was a reaction in history to the modern era, era that came before it, where there was everybody was claiming truth claims. Truth was everything, and people fought about it all the time. Nazism, scientism, anti-Semitism, everything. It was all isms, truth claims, and this was an answer to that. We don't want war. We don't want conflict anymore. Love is all you need. Forget about truth for the sake of love. But at the cross, we see both things, don't we? That's where the gospel message is so important. We see truth and love, justice and mercy in one place at one time. So it's so important. 
if truth is eroded, Jesus is claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, well, that one statement alone does away with the effectiveness and worth of all other religions. It's offensive to everybody. And that's why postmodernism calls sometimes for one world religion, where truth is compromised, where Jesus in his gospel is compromised for the sake of unity, for the sake of no conflict. But truth claims are at the heart of every religion. Just think about the truth of Jesus. Think about the truth of the cross with the three main religions. Three main monogistic religions, anyway. We've got Judaism, we've got Christianity, and we've got Muslim. Think, Muslims, think of the cross. Us Christians believe Jesus died and rose again. The Jews believe Jesus died. The Muslims don't believe he even died on the cross. A substitute was placed there. They're all exclusive truth claims about Jesus. They can't all be right. There's got to be one objective truth and it will be offensive but it's true postmodernism leads to statements like have whatever faith you desire any one of you but please keep it to yourself it's fine for you believe whatever you want but keep it to yourself don't push it on me but that's totally against the words of Jesus and his commission isn't it And if it's true to us, it compels us to go and tell everybody else. We want to proclaim the truth. But society, at the moment, as you can see, it's fine to believe it, but do not push it onto me. And it ends up with each and every person having their own version of what is true. It leads to a complete pick and mix for every individual of personal worldviews. What's right for you isn't necessarily right for me, and vice versa. It leads to an erosion of morals, as everyone picks and chooses their own moral code. And no one dares pick them up on it because they don't want to cause offence. We've seen since the 60s the explosion of divorces, the explosion of abortions, the eradication of moral responsibilities. This is the culture that we are in and we are sent to and we are to enter and be not offensive in thinking about our friends from football the two friends Graham and Steve both non-Christians but totally different ways to communicate the gospel with them Graham is, is tried Buddhism He's got a religious mindset, so you can kind of speak into that. You know where to speak to with him. Steve, totally different. Complete atheist into his evolution, based his worldview on that. Totally different. Individualistic. Both non-believers and both need separate ways to speak into them. And this is why we believe the four R's are of such a benefit. Having that personal relationship, we can identify the personal worldview of the individual and make the gospel relevant to them. Because once we identify what an individual believes to be true of the world, we can then make the gospel relevant. 
maybe asking them questions about how they've landed on that particular worldview. It's such a help because most people haven't even thought about the worldview that they hold. Just asking them, why, why do you believe that? People just assume and take on their worldview. It's interesting to know. Once we know, we can start to untie their false hope in it by putting a stone in their shoe, making them walk uneasily in the worldview that they hold. Showing them that the gospel is the only answer because everybody has, as we've sung about earlier on, eternity placed in their heart. Can we dig through and unbury that eternity in their heart? Which leads us to our last one the relevance of Christianity to ourselves. God's word is true and powerful and can cut through anybody's worldview. But we can speak many words if we are not living as though the gospel is relevant to us and showing it as they observe us. Why on earth would they think it would be relevant to them? If it's not relevant to us, the ones that want to proclaim it to them. We've read, haven't we, 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you. We need to be living lives, such good lives, but such gospel-led lives that questions come. If we're not receiving questions from anybody, it's a pretty good guarantee that we are not living gospel lives ourselves, as though it's relevant to us. Are we forgiving? Are we not judging people? Are we slow to anger? Are we at peace in all situations? Are we happy in the promised knowledge of eternity? Do we show that joy at all times? Are we in the culture understanding the culture? Willing to put the freedom God has given us as Christians, we are free, we are saved, we have an eternity guaranteed. Are we willing to put that comfort aside to step out into the community? As Paul says, he became, he stepped out into all these communities, didn't he? He became a Jew, became a Gentile to win all for the sake of the gospel. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. It takes self-control. Because as we step into the culture, temptations to sin will be everywhere as we immerse ourselves with sinners. Self-control must be held. The end of our passage, the need for self-discipline, it's titled in the NIV or in some Bibles. 1 Corinthians 9, I'll read it. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Athletes just do not take partake of some things that are really good to make sure they can get as fit as possible 
to win the race. They're willing to be, you know, to self-deny. And he does it for the sake of the gospel. Is the gospel so relevant to us that we are willing to put our comfort aside to step out and into the community that we live in? It's a challenge. In Matthew, Jesus says, doesn't he, we are to be salt and light and to not hide our light. We are to be the light of the world. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are to be that light. Are we hiding it? If we are, there's a good chance that the gospel is not relevant to us. But it's good to remind ourselves, it's quite heavy, this message. It's good to remind ourselves that we're not alone in this. The church's role throughout its conception is to prepare us to go out and make disciples. We've got community groups here. We've got small groups. We've got personal relationships within the church. There's our elders' questions. They're all a means of support, whether in prayer or helping us to answer questions that would come. There's opportunities for gospel presentations. Christianity Explored, the J. John thing. Franklin Graham's tour. Even preaching on a Sunday. There are ways to promote the gospel. It's not all on our personal selves. The church is here to help. And of course, we've already mentioned we're not alone. God's spirit indwells us. He can teach us. Comfort us. Give us words to say as we contemplate, meditate on his word. So to finish, i just quote uh, Lee Strobel. He's identified, he thinks, four yearnings of an unbeliever. And they are, number one, to feel understood. As we step into the culture, we can begin to understand why they're thinking the things they are thinking why they hold the worldview that they hold. We can meet that yearning. We can try to understand them where they are. Second is to understand. That goes back to our communication again. We, can we communicate to help them to understand the significance, importance, eternal significance of the gospel? To belong. Again, the gospel the restored relationship with God, residence with his family in church will fulfill that yearning to belong and to have hope. Well, the gospel is all that, isn't it? The certain hope of eternal sonship of the emperor of the universe. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that we will live as though the gospel is so relevant to our lives. We know it is, but help us to understand it and put those thoughts into actions so that they can be observed by all, so that questions will come. Help us to not be afraid of the culture we're in. Help us to want to leave the comfort that we have, the security of being in that eternal relationship with you, to step outside 
into the culture. Help us to follow Jesus in that as he stepped out of heaven and came to us. Surely we can do the same to those who do not know him. So prepare our hearts to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.